I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here anymore. I'm on a wave. I'm on a mountain. I'm on a roller coaster. Sailing across the sky, and the only trouble is in wondering why. Lord God, we just want to praise you tonight. Thank you for who you are, all that you're doing in each one of us, Father. All those out there, Lord, you know who we are. Father, we pray for every lost soul. You desire, Lord Jesus, is not to lose not even one. You are a faithful, Father. You're a faithful, Lord God. When we're faithless, you remain faithful. Change our hearts, O oh God, and make us more like you. We thank you for truth. The truth is love, and God, you are love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Bless the word. Bless Sean. Bless all those that hear and that open themselves up for the depth of your word, though we may be transformed into the beauty of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Alex. Great prayer. Uh, love it when a man of God is pouring his heart out before the Lord, and uh, that was evidence of uh, Alex's heart for him. All right, remember, we have a new book out, and... Uh, it's called Knife to a Gunfight, Misinterpreting the Purpose and Place of the New Testament. Uh, it's what we feel is a reasonable critique of what I believe is the man-made doctrine of sola scriptura. And uh, I welcome, truly, anybody who will read the book and critique it from a non-dogmatic, non-religious perspective to come on and, and let's talk about it if you don't agree. But... Uh, Anyway, Knife to a Gunfight is available at, by going to www.hotm.tv. And of course, as it's always been with all of our books, if you are uh, on a limited fixed income, if you can't afford one, all of that stuff, please just tell us, send us an email. You're not going to be able to order it, but send us an email, and then Derek and Danita will send one out to you. And with that, how about a minute from our new Board of Direction? That was not the intro to Board of Direction. Here it is. <laughs> we get better with time. <laughs> Listen. Hands down, the book of almost everything we talk about tonight is kind of interrelated. The book of Acts talks more about the Spirit than any other book in the New Testament. Romans 8 is a chapter that speaks most about the Holy Spirit in terms of chapters. The book of Ephesians mentions something about the Spirit in every single chapter. And 2nd and 3rd John says nothing about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Second Peter, Titus, uh, Philemon mentioned the Spirit once, and James mentions the Spirit twice. The word Spirit, along with any added terms, is always in the Greek, pneuma. And that's an important word to us because from it we get pneumatic, and we understand that that's a wind-driven tool or instrument, and that's really all pneuma means. It means a wind or uh, a bellowing, uh, or a breeze, a current of air. Um, by analogy, uh, figuratively, it's a spirit, and we use that. But usually when we talk about spirits, we think of uh, disembodied, you know, 
kind of human-like spirits, but we really do not get that when we go through a contextual analysis of spirit throughout the Old and New Testament. Um, in humans, it's the rational soul. Uh, by implication, it's a vital principle. It can be a mental disposition in Scripture. It's a life force. In superhuman form, we call the spirit or spirits demons or angels. Uh, and speaking of the divine, the, in, the invisible motivating force, the active force of God, uh, Christ's spirit, and also the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that Trinitarian thinking is that the Holy Spirit is uh, a separate being, a person, uh, uh, Jesus, the F Father, Son, Holy Spirit, separate and distinct, but one God. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about spirit in the spectrum, and we just might call this bar, if you're willing, um, the realm of spirit, okay? And just, just to facilitate some understanding, in 1 John 1, John says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, we also know John says, or Jesus says, God is spirit. John says God is love. So if we were wanted to, all the way over here, if we want to box him in, which isn't always a good idea, but if we put God, and we put a box around him, we know that God is spirit. We know that God is a consuming fire from Scripture. We know that God is love from Scripture. And he's at this end of the spectrum. And all around that name God is light. There is not a speck of darkness in him at all. And as we move away and we start getting outside of God and his realm, we start getting in elements of darkness. And then it starts getting thicker and thicker. And if I had the time and the ability with a dry erase marker to fill it in, this would be all black at this end. That's a, that's a realm of spirit. It's, it's a realm of the, of the wind, of the breath. Within this realm, we tend to want to put these, these creatures in there, whether they be angelic uh, creatures or uh, demonic creatures. We like to put them in the bodies, but Scripture doesn't really do that. It just explains pneuma. It just explains breath. And so it makes it difficult for us to really put our finger on. I think the important thing to understand is that if it's either, well, in the Hebrew, it's ruach, by the way. And ruach and pneuma mean the same thing, a breath, a wind. And we tend to think of Holy Spirit as being a being sitting on one end of the spectrum and devils sitting at the other end. But I suggest they are all a spirit nature. Certainly the devils are at the dark end. And the spirit devils are at the dark end. Certainly spirit angels of heaven are at the light end, but they're all just spirit. I'm trying to emphasize that. Uh, the most references to spirit is in Acts uh, 63 times, as I mentioned. 1 Corinthians 37, Romans 34, Luke 24, John 19, Gospel of, Galatians 18, Ephesians 16, Revelation 16. And, uh, and then, as I said, Romans 8 is the chapter with the biggest focus on that. Uh, we can divide the Spirit from what I can see. And what I did was I went through and, and spent uh, about a month, and I just looked at every single passage. I put them in this kind of matrix in my computer. Every single passage that mentions Ruach or uh, Numa. And we can kind of break spirit down into three categories in Scripture. There is good, light, life spirit. There is evil, dark, death spirit. And then there's neuter spirit, which is often uh, uh, ascribed to humans. So we'll talk more about that as we go on, but I just wanted to cover that on our From the Board thing to uh, show you that illustration of that bar, whatever that might mean to you. Our ministry has long been antagonistic toward brick-and-mortar religion, which what we've called brick-and-mortar religion. In my mind, brick-and-mortar was an appeal to physical institutions that require heavy top, top-heavy servicing, or big budgets, or are laden with 
demands upon the people to get involved and constantly be active within the institution. I borrowed it from the tech world where um, the tech world would refer to brick and mortar as if there's a bookstore that's in the cloud or uh, online versus a brick and mortar, like a, uh, like a Barnes and Noble retail location on State Street, it's a brick and mortar versus something that's in the cloud. Uh, carrying this theme over, we've applied it, and I think it's a more applicable way, really, uh, to Christianity as faith abides in the heart or in the mind, in the cloud of individuals, um, and is not the product, is not the product of brick and mortar allegiance or institutions. Uh, I never ever appealed to the term from Scripture. I never looked up to see is brick and mortar used in Scripture. I was unaware of the concept, and that was until April 16th when a fan of ours contacted me and told me that his in-laws put on Jewish uh, seders and that last week he and his wife were kind of forced to attend one. And in the ceremony, they read from the book of Exodus, uh, which in and of itself is a telling title, Exodus, out from, and they read the following from chapter 1 at verse 14. Listen to what it says. <clears throat> And they, the Egyptians, set taskmasters over them, the Jews, children of Israel, to afflict them with their burdens. And they, the Egyptians, built treasure cities for Pharaoh, Pithon, and Ramses. And they made their lives, the Jews, bitter with hard work in mortar and in bricks and in all kinds of work in the field. All their work in which they made them do was with harshness. Now, hearing this, it becomes apparent that uh, we have long tried to resist against religions, putting believers in a place of building treasure cities. And any way a treasure city is made within religion is, is on the labor of somebody, whether they're actually participating in it, or if they go to their job and they work 12 hours a day and they get a paycheck and they donate, they're building up the treasure cities, right? And we've always been against believers being afflicted in this process and allowing these types of pharaohs to make other people's lives bitter in brick and mortar. And I think it's a telling, telling picture there that we have all the way back in Egypt with the nation of Israel and what those Egyptians forced them to do under that hard labor. His yoke is easy. It is easy. We focus on this a lot because of the LDS institution in the state of Utah. It is the brick and mortar of brick and mortars, except for maybe Catholicism. And it's built on the back. It's a treasure city built on the back of the people. Well, little, little churches can do the same thing, so we're against it in that. But his yoke is easy. His burden is light. When people come to him, he gives them rest, rest. If you're in a, involved in a religious institution, that is not giving you rest, there's a problem, okay? Uh, there's plenty of places in this world where you can find yourself exhausted, but when it comes to your faith, it sh you should not be placed in a position where you're exhausting yourself. Uh, the difference between the brick and mortar religions and the relationship all people can have directly with him in the cloud, so to speak, uh, is that the brick and mortar is heavy. There is no thing a religion should put on a congregate, uh, but the word of the Lord by the Spirit, and let God perform a work on the individual souls. And that's just something to think about. And with that, how about a moment from the word? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. In our Sunday uh, gatherings, we do a milk and a meat, and sorry for the shameless plug, but you can get them all at campuschurch.tv. You can watch live, stream with us, never show up, stay in your pajamas, uh, but they're all there. But in our meat gathering two Sundays ago, we were covering one verse, 1 John 1, 5, which says, and I just quoted it at the board, this is the message. Listen, this is how it was. John was doing an epistle, and he could have said anything. He walked with Christ. He knew God. He was an apostle for 30 years before writing this, at least. And he says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all.
That's radical. He summarized that by saying, God is light, there's no darkness. When I was talking about this message with my daughters the other day, I realized something about it. It helps prove that the historical, traditional stance within Christianity that hell is a fiery, hot place of literal flames where people will be burning up is wrong. And I'm going to use what John said to help prove that. Let me explain. Light and dark, dark and light, like we showed up on the board. It seems that the world, even perhaps the universe, can be broken up into these two realms. One that illuminates and one that obfuscates. One that warms and comforts, another that chills and creates discomfort. One that's in shadows, one that's in darkness. It has long been admitted that darkness is really no entity in and of itself. That it's really the absence of light. Uh, light actually exists. It can be studied, it can be refracted, it can be measured. Uh, it is said that light makes matters clear, brightens our path, lessens the dangers that lurk out ahead of us when we can't see. Uh, it can even kill disease, it can purify, it can purge, it can, it can sanctify. Where light is, darkness is not, okay? And so in the absence of light, there is confusion and despair and corruption and depression and even death. In the first epistle, uh, John, when he said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We know that fully God, like up on the board, fully God is fully light, right? And that lesser God, that's what that really illustrates to you, is lesser God is, more, uh, is uh, lesser light. So the lesser God gets to the point where shadows and obscurity and, and shades of gray and darkness and then utter blackness exist, not of their own accord. They, are, they do not exist of their own accord. They exist in the absence of light. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, who John describes as a light that has come into the world. Earlier in the same gospel, John the Beloved writes this of Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There is a power in darkness. There's a power in the absence of God. Uh, Colossians 1.13 says, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. But the power is one that thrives on the absence of God, the absence of light, having no power of its own. Only a power of vacuity and emptiness. It's life-taking. It corrupts. It's a nothingness. It's a zero. Just remember all this. I'm building a case. Similarly, it's been said that cold does not exist and uh, that things are cold because they are not warm, meaning they are lacking heat. So if we put the sun at that end to show uh, heat and we saw less and less of the sun at this end, that is the product, the product of that is cold. It's measuring the absence of heat. Cold itself, it is said by some, does not exist. So again, we could almost say that misery and woe and depression do not exist. Um, they are simply the absence of joy and faith and hope and love and light of God. Move into his spectrum and you don't have misery, woe, depression. Move into that spectrum and those things come about, but they're not real. They're just the absence of him. Those who are said to love darkness more than light are really just people who love the absence of God more than they love his presence. Okay? Dark and darkness, no essence. Except God is removed from that area or that person. Remove God from an area and we have that hollow, hollow dark, empty void. On earth, such voids that we have, we fill them with substitutes. And um, idols, false gods, drugs, sex, rock and roll, whatever it is, we fill that void with those things and they last while we are in the flesh. Uh, in the end, we can't assume now, here comes the point. Scripture talks about the lake of fire. It talks about the hell, hell giving up its dead and souls being cast into the lake of fire, which Revelation 14 says is in the presence of the Lord and his angels. 
okay? So fire is light. It's the source of God. The burning is in the presence of God, and the burning is his light purging those who cared nothing for him, having the contents of their soul melted away and rendered, leaving only the good that was in them. That's the lake of fire. In other words, to liken the heat and flame of hell to Satan, the prince of darkness, is a complete oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. He's cold. He's the absence of light. He's the absence of fire. He's the absence of all that. He is not the presence of it. So when we come up with these cartoons on Bugs Bunny where people are thrown down to hell and it's this fiery place and we say they're going to burn for... It is such a misappropriation of Scripture. I'm using that word a lot tonight. Uh, that it just, it's, it's, it's a contradiction of what Satan is and who God is. All right, consider those things. Another thing to consider. And let's move on. And we're going to conclude tonight with... Uh, our discussion of the Holy Spirit. This is part three and the last part. Let me wet my whistle with this tequila, which in Utah is called Diet Coke. After reading Matthew and in that study I've done, I can, we can conclude this. God is a spirit that is holy, hagias. The spirit is synonymously called in Matthew, hagias pneuma, pneuma theos, spirit God, just pneuma, Numa humane pater means father uh, spirit, father of spirits, and mu numa. Those are all the things that Matthew brings to the table. We also learn that man has a spirit. It is not necessarily holy, but apparently can be. What is man's spirit called in Matthew? Numa. What is God's spirit called? Numa. Our conclusion from Mark is that Christ has a spirit. He brings this out. It's also called the spirit of Christ, Numa. That's what it's called. The conclusion from Luke, God has a spirit that is holy. It's synonymously called pneuma curios, Lord. And men and women have a spirit called autos pneuma, always pneuma. And then there are spirits out there that are simply referred to as pneuma. When Jesus, this is interesting, it says that Jesus gave up the ghost. It does not say he gave up the spirit. He did not give up the pneuma. And we, if you're explaining that to a child, you might say it means he gave up his spirit. That's not what it means. Because if you read the Greek, the word there, there is ekneo, ekpneo, ekneo. And what it means is he exhaled his breath, his breath, not his, not his pneuma. So very interesting. So far, I'm convinced that God is one, that God is spirit, that from his spirit, his spiritual mouth, if you were, if we're going to anthropomorphize God and give him a mouth, he breathes his word and he breathes his spirit. He speaks with the spirit. The word comes from the same mouth. It's all anthropomorphic. We can't assign those attributes to God in that sense. But if we did, he breathes and that breath speaks and that these things, his words and his breath actually engage. Jesus, the word made flesh and his Holy Spirit the motivating, invisible force of God on earth. I also believe that God has always existed, and as his words and breath have always been with him, they've always existed too. So Jesus is self-existent, and his spirit self-existent. God's words and breath are equal to him because they are him. They come from him. There is one God. That is what's coming out. I realize this is a different view that, that many don't accept, but this is how I read it from Scripture. That words are different than breath, but they relate to each other, inextricably linked to each other. When we speak, we use our breath. So they are, they are tied to each other, coming from the mouth of God. Because he and his breath and words are all spirit, it's very hard for us to comprehend the ontology of those things. We want to try, and we will say, we're going to box it up, and we're going to do that. But I think it's for me, maybe not for you, but for me, it's inappropriate. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say God, and that's how it will be. To assign them personhood with expressed personalities of their own, especially since in the Greek, spirit is always in the neuter gender and not in the masculine except in four places. To me, the spirit is God's motivating force invisible here on earth. From John, we get something interesting. John presents us with a very important passage, 3.6. It says, That which is born of the flesh 
sarks, is flesh, sarks. That which is born of the spirit, pneuma, is spirit, pneuma. It's a clear delineation between the two worlds and the way that men and women are constructed, flesh and spirit. From this, I'd say there appears to be a world of flesh and there appears to be a world of spirit, which we talked about up there. Uh, conclusions from Acts, and I'm not going to go through every book of the Bible. I'm going to stop after Romans. But from Acts, we find a remarkable increase in the use of the terms related to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, King James. Uh, the four Gospels combined mention the Spirit 26 times. Acts mentions the Spirit 41 times alone. So this illustrates the import of the Spirit in the body of Christ post-ascension. After He ascends, the Spirit is, is remarkably present, and from that point forward, it's like the Church of the Spirit of God. And um, in the Greek, there's no differentiation between the Spirit and Jesus, the Spirit and Paul, evil beings, even God as Spirit. There's no differentiation. It just says pneuma. The only way we tell if there's a difference related to the word is by added Greek words assigned to pneuma that help us get a, a difference. We uh, only know the differences that exist in the spirit by those words like hagias for holy. Because of this, we can affirm that we are either talking about material things when we're in scripture or we're talking about spiritual things. It's either physical, fleshly, material, worldly, earthly, uh, things, or it is spiritual from another realm, always invisible, uh, except in the case of angels, which seem to be able to take on forms of other uh, beings. When Scripture break, speaks of human beings following or walking in the Spirit, it's just kind of tacitly understood that we are following or walking in the Spirit of God and not in the Spirit of darkness, hopefully. But all these things have spiritual sides to them. Even demons are spiritual. They all fit in that continuum of the realm of spirit. And we have to remember then that all warfare, division, differences in the flesh are spiritually discerned and spiritually divided with each other. And so it's not a fleshly thing that we are warring against. And Paul makes that clear. What this means is all of our differences between each other our wars, our antagonisms, our evil, our lusts are driven by these spiritual forces um, that work on and through our flesh. Uh, old guy, a guy I know named Bob Mumford, he describes those spirits as land helicopter pads where those, the dark forces land on us uh, in places that uh, the darkness knows it's going to be able to rest safely upon us. And I think that's significant in how this works. Therefore, there are spirits of this world in darkness that abide and push for things of the flesh, all in opposition to God. And they are all, all, all an influence of these spiritual forces from on high. But the point I'm trying to make is our war is not against individuals. Okay? So, in other words... We don't see the battle going on in an individual between the light and the dark. What we see are manifestations of that in their behaviors or in their action, uh, same thing. So dark and, 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 and we can't really fathom. So the war is not in the uh, human genitalia. The war is not in the aggravated mind. It's, it's not in a person being mean-spirited and a person being a gossip. It lies that there are dark spirits at work that have been allowed by that person somehow or some way, allowed, invited, encouraged, fed, whatever, to take precedent, precedence over them, in them, rather than the spirit of light. And so if we can approach that with people when we're talking to them, it helps us to understand how our warfare goes. Because when we find somebody who's selfish or belligerent or obstinate or mean-spirited or gossipy or lustful or any of those things, we can understand that it's merely a spiritual thing. We pray for them. We have long-suffering for them, kindness, gentleness, all the things Jesus had. And we are working with them to help them see the light, bring it into them, 
and so that the darkness will flee. That's the point. But when we think that it's the flesh, and we think that, that we can go after people in the flesh, we make a, a very, very egregious error in working with people. So the dark spirits are all about, uh, and these are scripturally based, laziness. There's a spirit of laziness it talks about. Lust, theft, selfishness, pride, anger, depression, angst, addiction, uh, communism, capitalism, fascism, murder. I mean, gluttony, adultery, mur it's all in there. It's all from the dark, right, working on us. So since God is light and a consuming fire and truth and love and goodness and holiness, we can see what spirit is working on another individual, including ourselves, and we can know that the solution is bring in more light, bring in more God, bring in more of him. I have a friend who told me he's reaching out through an article and uh, trying to reach the LDS. We have a lot of people who write and say they want to reach the LDS, and I'm formulating this book, or I have this website, or I'm doing this, and they always say, what's your opinion? And I say, you know, those things work, but they're out there. They're out there in abundance. Sandra Tanner was a pioneer, and she put a lot of it out there. We have hundreds of videos out there. We still get people every day who come to us and say they just found them. But in reality, if you bring the light in, and you keep bringing the light in, it really does do something to quell the darkness. We're going to end it there uh, and go to Romans next week because of time. And I got a lot for that. My uh, wife, Mary, she did all the graphics for Romans. Hold on to them, Seth. We'll get to them next week. Let's open up the phone lines. 801-590-8413. 801-590-8413. We're going to take a look at this spot. Take notes. We'll come back. So, uh, check that out. We would let, we're going to try to put that on in the fall. There's a lot of people involved in this who don't know they're involved yet. But I've been making plans with Marnita, who's going to direct the play. And we're going to have casting calls and bring people in. It's going to be something we want to try to do once a year here at, uh, at the uh, Heart of the Matter Campus Studios. We're building out a stage, and so we're excited about that. If you have anybody who you know who's interested in those things that you just saw in that spot done by Cassidy, let us know. Uh, somebody gave this to oh, this was Adam, I think, gave this to me. Uh, this is from a church website, and from what I can tell, I think it's from reviveourhearts.com, this was actually something that was being discussed, and it shows a picture of a girl, and uh, the headline for the discussion is, what to say to that immodestly dressed girl at church? And it says, the girl in the pew in front of you is wearing a shirt so short it makes so short it makes you blush. What next? And then it goes on, and the people are talking about how to handle that situation or problem. How about rejoicing? She's at church, you know, or asking her out if you're single. Uh, but I mean, come on, what? What? And the thing that really blows my mind here is that it says. Um, what to do with a girl who's immodestly dressed at church. Like, it's okay to be immodestly dressed on Tuesday, or at least you don't have any obligation to say anything, but if it's at church, by golly, you better. That is so contradictory to the mind of God in the Old Testament, who's like, I am so sick of your sacrifices and your rivers of oil and your oblations and your new moons and all this stuff that you're assigning to this day of the week. He says, it's the heart we want, you know? So if there's a problem with an immodestly dressed girl and, and you're part of trying to fix it, I would get rid of the thing at church. That would probably be the last place on earth you would ever want to confront her about her dress. Because she's in church, the solution that's going to help her overcome her flesh and live by the Spirit. You want to approach her any other six days of the week? Fine. 
but leave them alone at church. <sighs> All right, we got Charlie in West Valley, uh, Utah. He's on line one. Charlie, you're on the air. Hey, Sean. What's up? Okay, so I guess I'm an official anarchy as, as, uh -oh. as of today. Look out. Uh, <laughs> I uh, had a breakfast meeting with a couple of pastors this morning, and, uh, oh, your name came up. Uh-oh. And uh, I kind of uh, took a stance, and, and uh, we got into the Trinity thing, oh, of course, and I brought up... Uh, uh, one scripture of where uh, John 14, uh, 28, where it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. Anyway, else. <laughs> where did I miss that one? And how did it go over? Oh, anyway, so it's the one where Jesus says, I am in the Father and, oh. and the, uh, the Father's in me and I in you and... And that's the scripture I was trying to come up with. I believe it was John fourteen twenty eight. But it didn't go well. It was, you listen to that heretic? Are you kidding me? And I said, well, uh, you know, yeah, I, I believe he's a seeker of truth, and that's not what we all seek. And she says, I says, well, you know, we stand on the truth. I says, I firmly believe in a lot of his teachings. We, you know, go through the Bible step by step, and... And I simply got, well, he is a heretic. He's been ousticized by a lot of us, and well, I don't suggest you follow any of his teachings. And I said, well, would you mind debating him on any of the subjects? I don't have to. I don't need to. He's not qualified for any of that, so I don't need to. And I automatically said, well, there you go. You're criticizing. You're pointing fingers, and you don't even really know what he teaches. Well, we just know that he's hypothesizing where his teachings and I I left the meeting very discouraged because I love these brothers and they are very closed minded and I didn't see it until now and I'm really ashamed. Well you keep loving them, Charlie, and uh that's the only solution to any of it. And you know, I don't have any problem and I've always maintained I don't have any problem with somebody who embraces the Trinity. And it's, I'm sh I mean, it's a historical standard. I get it. And so, I, but I just, I just personally don't see it as holding as much water as I once believed it did. And, and I just wish I could have the liberty to say Trinity as it's described in creedal Trinitarianism. I, I'm still your a brother, even though I just don't know that I accept it. I could be wrong, I, but uh, no, it's unfortunate. You really can't pull the Holy Spirit out as a personage when, like you say, it's in the neuter gender, and yeah. it's very hard to see it if you really look. Um, yeah. Anyway. Well, keep loving well, them, brother. I, I, love, I love your part on the Holy Spirit tonight. Uh, the best explanation I've heard on being born again. You come into the light, and the light dwells in you. Amen. Thanks, Amen. my friend. Thanks. God bless you. God bless you, too. Okay, bye-bye. We have a very special guest all the way from Ireland. I don't think he's ever called before. His name is Mark. Mark! <laughs> You're on the air, Mark. Mark? Mark? Hello? Oh, Mark got afraid of me. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to intimidate you, Mark. Call back sometime when, you, when your tongue's not tied. Because we're here because we love you and we want to help you. And I know you get nervous. So <laughs> for those of you who are at home, the phone is ringing right now. Uh, Mark is a very, very aggressive young man. He's very sure of himself. He lives in Ireland. He calls every now and then. Is that him, operators? Tr line what? One. One. Mark, are you there? Oh, that's better. How are you? Very good. How are you doing? I'm okay. But, look, first of all, I promised Wendy that I wouldn't mention the ponytail. Thank you. So I won't mention the ponytail at all. I won't bring attention to it. You won't bring I it won't up at all. To it. 
Not at all. That's right. Because I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But if anyone is, if anyone has a license to do it, it's me <laughs> and nobody else. Well, right? I really appreciate you avoiding that subject entirely. Avoiding what? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> um, that picture that you held up with the girl, is she single? <laughs> she, has okay. been, she has one <laughs> qualification. She's wearing a Yamada shirt that says, no one from Ireland. I, I'm actually uh, British, didn't you know? <laughs> um, God save the Queen. Um, g give us her number. Anyway, right. Um, I, I, I'm catching up on the shows, okay? And th th there's two kind of, uh, I suppose, sticking points that I have. Yeah. Um, sticking point number one, when you had Bob Griffin on the show. Yes. Um, and, and somebody sent in a, an absolutely excellent review, or so I've heard. Um, you, you, your response to it was that you catch more flies with, with um, honey, honey than vinegar or, or something like that. There was an analogy in there. Right. Um, and the, the, the overarching theme was that the, the, the days of the, the, the virulence, the rage against the machine are gone, are over. I if hope that's so. true, if that's true, and yet had had that, te that team, I suppose, maybe even just five years ago, you wouldn't have reached me. And you wouldn't have reached, um, if, if there's me, there, there's people like me, or they're not quite like me, but there's people that are kind of like me out there. Yeah. So that, that, that brings me into something you said a couple of weeks ago. Yes. And that was that you're either a, a, a predator or, or prey. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that there's a third kind of, um, there's, there's a third option. In there. What is it? And that, that, that has to be a kind of like a quantum state of both. Um, and it, it works in so far as certain approaches just don't work for certain people. Yeah. I do, when I saw you, first of all, I said, mm, check out the blonde rinse on this guy. But the blonde rinse caught my attention. But if it had been, you know, not what I needed at the time, I would have just turned off. Got it. May I, oh. may I say something? Go on. Thank you. Uh, there's a time and place for everything. and Exactly. Authenticity is really important with, with somebody as well. So yes. I was completely authentic in myself when we did the shows where I was aggressive, etc. But yeah. if I'm that, going to... That's required sometimes, though. You can't discount that. No, and opinion. I know it's required. And that's why we leave all those videos up for people to see them, and it draws them in, and they're angry yeah. at that point in their life, etc. But yeah. for me to continue on, I had to be true to what the Holy Spirit was doing in me, and that was to become more prey uh, rather than predator. Yeah, but you can be both. I don't, I don't think that, that, that there's not one creature in the animal kingdom that is just prey or just predator. Right. We're all both. Right. So in your, in your analogy that you, you, you must either be one or the other, I think that we're both. And that if someone, if I can just... I'll give you a very quick example. If somebody, um, I don't know, you know, is talking to you and they're, they're, they're critical of something that you hold maybe dear to you, like your family, if they're critical of your family or your children or your grandkids, you, you, you know, there's a time and a place for everything to kind of to contend for the faith in an example, but to defend yourself. And if in defending yourself you have to be predatory, I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. I might differ with you, and uh, it's just because I'm trying to take everything we read in the yeah. New Testament. So I do, I understand contend for the faith, but there's yeah. a word in the Greek for that, that there's one that means schizophrenia, and there's another mm. one that means evenly discut, discut. The mm. contend there used, Mark, is to cut it like with a very sharp scalpel so that people mm. are really clearly understood. The other type of cutting or contending is to rip and tear in a very violent way. And so that's what I'm, that's the only thing I'm trying to do, say is I don't want to be a schizophrenic ripper anymore. No, but you can be clinical about it as well, though. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you can be clinical and loving, and, but in doing so, you're still being predatory. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean. Point well taken. Listen, we've got to go, Mark, okay, cool. but I want to let you know that you've really Mark. hurt Wendy's feelings by asking about the girl in the ad. So now we right. have to deal with that tonight. Tears. Well, Thank no, you, look, Mark. Um, Thank you. Back to Wendy, and I'll, 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 I'll kind of sing her to sleep or something. All right, my friend. Love you.
Bye. Take care of yourself. All right. Good luck. Bye-bye. Uh, this, uh, we have someone on uh, two. The operator's clear of the call. Uh, this is from, excuse me, Jessica. Uh, after reading lots and lots and studying, about, I happened upon Bishop Earl's ex-Mormon files. Ironically enough, I was trying to find the Mormon channel because uh, general, it was General Conference weekend and my visiting teachers were coming and I had not watched any of it and I knew they'd asked me about it to see if I had a favorite talk, etc. So I found Earl's program while I was trying to find the Mormon channel and started watching like crazy. I remember watching you on the program and thinking that I should listen to your programs too. When Bob, her husband, finally got home, I was so excited to share all I had learned with him about the church. Uh, him being a recent convert, I did not expect resistance, but I was wrong. I tried for a couple of months, then I gave up. She goes on and on and on and on and talks about how, uh, you know, finally she then looked up Heart of the Matter, and she just, out of all the hundreds of broadcasts, she picked the BYU devotional, Millions Shall Know Brother Joseph Again by Jason Kunstler, uh, which we covered last year. And she said it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And then she started watching all those. Again, she talked to a born-again Christian neighbor who took her to church. She's born again. She's, her husband is coming around. And that's all because of Earl's uh, interview show there on the Internet. By the way, really quickly, while the operator is going to get to two, or we'll go to another email, come up here really quickly, uh, Warren. Uh, I want you to tell the audience where they can get the show that you're doing now because uh, people need to hear what you have to say and the way you're going about it. So really quickly, just tell the audience, Warren is doing a show, uh, where they can get that. Okay, praise God. Um, you can go directly to YouTube and uh, type in or do a search for uh, Breaking Bread with Warren Puckett. Uh, I think also that Seth is putting some of them on on the, your website, oh, okay. or at least it was in previously. Um, <clears throat> but um, I also have a website, bbread, slc. No. Nope, sorry. Bbread.tv, and uh, there are shows that that are on there, and we're just uh, praising God and and uh, trying to spread the good news that, that the best that we can. Are all your shows on bbread.tv? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Yes. Yes, and so anybody that's interested, love for them to check it out. Check it out, because uh, 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 Warren is adding to the body of work out there. Uh, Warren and his wife, uh, former LDS, came to know the Lord in a radical way. Warren and I are very different in our, uh, our just the way we uh, kind of perceive Christianity, but his way is very uh, beautiful and heartfelt. And uh, so check him out, and we'll just keep going, and also Bishop Earl on Ex-Mormon Files. Listen, I got an email from someone named Patrick A., and the subject line says, Mormon doctrine is biblical. Dear sir, I have studied the Bible for many years. I found that the LDS gospel and doctrine are the ones which are supported by biblical scripture, far more than the traditional Christianity that has filtered down this simplistic other gospel uh, which we have been warned about by the Savior and his disciples. Unfortunately, when I show these true things from the Bible, the born-again Christians will not discuss them. I am hoping that someone among you who loves the truth and is willing to discuss them with me. All right, so he's talking to me, and I wrote back my response, when and where, because I thought he was local and we could sit down. I, it has to be face-to-face -face if we're going to have a discussion for, for me. Uh, his response was, here and now, by email, one topic at a time. Please include as many of your supporters as possible in on the discussion. Each topic is going to be debated by the Bible scriptures and its logical conclusion before we go on to the next topic. You choose the first one if you'd like, or we begin with my uh, topic of choice, which would be salvation. My response, sorry, not going to happen. No time, no inclination. Been there, done that. I do know the Bible fairly well and also the LDS view of things. Uh, but this is not the best use of time to be on an email thing back and forth. Please don't take this wrong. We're a, a media-based ministry and one-on-one -on -one debates are not the best use of our time. I'm telling you all this. Here comes the third reply to that. I'm sorry too, Sean, because this might be your first and last chance to learn what the Bible really teaches. Uh, 
It appears to me that the so-called ex-Mormon files is composed of Mormon people who are Bible ignorant anyway. I'm not surprised, however, as this is all part of the fulfillment of Book of Mormon prophecy. Since you don't have the time to learn what the Bible really teaches, perhaps you can put me in contact with one of your people who's still on their quest for truth. And then I wrote, your humble manipulations don't surprise me in the least and only serve to validate my decision to reject your offer. Best of luck. But here's the reason I want to bring that up. Seth, what is the phone number now? I'm going to talk about that really quickly. Of that, Oh, listen. During the week, you, anyone can call 801-590-8413. Anyone. Call that number and you will get a person who will discuss on the phone all the things you want to bring to the table to show how Mormonism is biblical, to show how the temple's right, to show this, to show that. We're going to have a live person either call back or answer, right? Call back or answer. And so you can get everything off your chest and you can hear some reasonable responses from someone who does know the Bible. It's going to be uh, primarily a man named Danny who does know his Bible, and he's really, really a great guy, and he's going to be calling you back. He has the time and inclination to do that, and we're going to go from there. Anything else I've got here? Uh, just want to say Olivia, and just want to say Dave, thank you for your support and your supportive emails, and uh, we're going to wrap it up. Next week, join us, because we're going to enter into a new topic, and it's really quite fascinating, and that's going to be a compare and contrast between Mormonism and biblical Christianity on the subject of Satan. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the And I won't be coming out, I'm going in This man's awake, a storm's arising The dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel 